Okay, Bokertov to all. We're looking at uh, developing an idea uh, that I think has some sort of relevance to uh, the concept of fighting terrorism. And we're going to look at a story that some of you may know, um, which is a, a bit of a, an interesting story in um, in Israel's modern history and a particular personality. But before we get to this actual story, <coughs> I'd like to just um, uh, construct the platform from the actual uh, Torah itself, from the sedras that we've just been uh, that we've just been reading. So. We just completed on Shabbos Parashat uh, Toldot, and the parasha is quite a difficult story to interpret because we uh, we found it very difficult to understand how Yitzchak um, sees Esav as worthy of a bracha, and you know the question about you know what what did Yitzchak miss? Did he miss something? Was he really blind to his to his to the nature of his one son, um, and there there's there's so many different um, interpretations coming from both angles, um, and then there's Rivka, you know, and Rivka's approach to uh, to the idea of stealing the brochas, and um, why was she so motivated to do this? Her relationship with Yitzchak is also an interesting area of discussion today. Were they not able to communicate with each other properly? Um, now, all of this is uh, is answerable. In other words, we just have to work at the various interpretations. But I'd like to focus on one area which finds its expression in a, a chidush and a novel idea by the Beit HaLevi, uh, the first uh, famous Soloveitchik. Uh, he, he writes... He writes in uh, in his um in in his forum, he writes uh, an insight which is um which is really interesting, and uh, I'm not going to perfectly copy the insight. I'll I'll say it over to you, but I think it's just by extension a little bit of a slight slight different left turn on the actual concept. Now, the the Beit Alevi, uh, Rav Yosef Dov Alevi Soloveitchik. Uh, has a has a uh, a set of 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 responsa. Uh, it's called a shoot is the, an abbreviation of shalot with chuvot, and it's, uh, it's we call it responsa. Uh, in Hebrew, they call it shutim, you know, because of the abbreviation. Anyway, he has a he has a set of of question answer style, but it's more like in the actual sefer, there's the droshes as well, like like. I guess you could call them his own, uh, his his own shiurim on on uh, on various topics, and um, yeah, he tackles this particular issue of the brochas that Yerifka was so adamant she needed to uh, get for Yaakov, and that Asav would not benefit from them, and so uh, the assumption is she couldn't convince Yitzchak to not get, go through with his. Um, you know, with his motivation to bless uh, Asav, and so she had to then do what she had to do to to enter into this um, into the shirad against Yitzchak, and eventually, hopefully, he would see things more clearly when it played itself out. And um, according to the midrash, as we know, he's fooled completely by the shirad, 
he blesses Yaakov with the bracha that he really wanted to give Asav. And um, the whole episode uh, finds clarity when Asav enters his room, into, enters uh, Yitzchak's base uh, of his study, and he, he asks for his own bracha. And then all of a sudden, Yitzchak is thrown into this quandary what happened. He feels Ganadin when Yaakov came in. He feels Gehinnom when Asaph came in. And, and slowly, it must have dawned upon him that, that he's made such a massive error, but he was saved by this, uh, you know, by this, this, this trickery, this deceit that was perpetrated against him. Um, you know, eventually, um, he has to realize uh, what Rivka had done. Now, <clears throat> yeah, the focus is... Um, the Medrash that says to us as follows, there's a kind of a dialogue that exists between Yaakov and Rivka. When Rivka is trying to motivate Yaakov to uh, enter into this deceitful um, behavior pattern with Yitzchak, and she tells him how important these brochas are. Now, Yaakov says back to her in the words of the Midrash, you know, what do you, what do you actually want me to, to do this for? In other words, besides being... Uh, in a position where I'm lying to my father, what am I lying for? You know, I'm lying for brochas of uh, of physical wealth. You know, is that what I is that what I'm doing all of this for? It's we all know from a spiritual point of view that that an an overabundance of wealth um, has so many vices that um, branch out from it. In other words, often. The test of wealth is um, is greater than the test of poverty. We none of us want to be in that position. We all think we'll, you know, just just let us try it. But but the the real truth is that from a spiritual point of view, a person who is uh, blessed with a certain level of wealth has a huge responsibility to do an unbelievable amount of chesed, and you always struggle with how much you know you take for yourself and how much you give others. But Yaakov, in the words of the Midrash, really does not want these brochas. He sees them, you know, this brocha, the Yitain Lacha Hashem Elohim, Vayitain Lacha Akosh Baruch will give you, says the Pasuk, um, I will give you an abundance of grain and wine. Um, you, know, you, know, you know, this, the Yitain Lacha, that you're going to get this, this um, Rov Dagan Vetirosh, a lot of grain and wine, uh, this is a representation of a lot of wealth. And this is a question of how good is this for Yaakov? Yaakov ch challenges his mother, Rivka, and says, it's not good for me. We have psukim that always, that that, that are quoted often, uh, telling us, Vayishman Yishurun Vayivat, which is a quote from Sefer Devarim, that um, we, are, we are cautioned that Vayishman Yishurun, Yishurun is a nickname for Am Yisrael, Amisha will become fat, and fat meaning wealthy. And when they live a life of luxury, Vayivat, they become arrogant and they kick back against Hashem who gave it. And they start to lose perspective. It happens to, to the vast majority of people um, that, that wealth becomes this kind of uh, trap. And uh, most wealthy people fail the, fail the, the test. So Yaakov really challenges Rivka um, as to whether this whole charade is worth it. Because, um, number one, I'm going to lie. 
and and I'm a man who's who's committed to living a life of truth. Um, number two, I'm going to be found out. Asav is a, a an ish sayer. He's like hairy, you know, just by feeling his arms. Yitzchak will determine who he is. Bani ish chalak, and I don't have uh, a hairy complexion. Um, the midrash then comments on this particular this this kind of metaphor. It sounds like it's literal. Asav is a hairy person. Yaakov isn't. But the midrash says, you know, when Yaakov says vani ish chalak. The word chalak uh, can be can be representative of another pasuk, uh, which which says ki Hashem amor for God is uh, um, is Am Yisrael's portion. The word chalak and chalak are are interchangeable without vowels, the same letters. So when Yaakov was saying I'm I don't have any I'm smooth, um, no hair, what he meant was that Akosh Baruch is my heritage, you know. Um, uh, I'm really a spiritual person. I don't want uh, the challenge of wealth. I know that it's very hard. The broch is that you're trying to convince me to 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 rest from Asav don't suit me. They don't suit the spiritual lifestyle. You know, Asav and Ishadeh, you know, the these brochas of uh of of wealth suit him. That's his lifestyle. And in fact, it could be argued that Yitzchak, um, Yitzchak may not have just wanted to bless Esav, and that was it. Who says that's true? Um, we sort of get that from the story and the way we sort of learn it in Cheda. But really, one could argue that, no, Yitzchak realized that he has two different children, so very, very, very different. And... Um, and he knows that each person needs their own brocha. So he wants to bless Asaph with, with the brochas of, of prosperity. But you could argue that he knows that the brochas of prosperity are not conducive to spiritual, um, you know, to, to high spiritual levels. They can be, but they but most of the time they aren't. Yaakov Avinu, he realizes as a spiritual person. So he he has an intention to give Yaakov a brocha when he's after he's given Esav a brocha. And it's quite possible to argue that um, Yitzhak sort of sees the Jewish people comprised of, of um, two different... The government of Israel, for argument's sake, is comprised of two different ministries. There's the ministry of religion and there's the ministry... There's the actual Knesset, is the running of the country. Um, now, if Yitzchak sees it this way, so he looks at Esav and says, "Okay, look, to put to put Esav as the head of the ministry of 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 religion is a, a total bracha levatala. This thing's not going to work. He's, is it? You know, we're lucky if he hangs on to some level of spirituality by his fingernails. We got what's he going to do? He's a minimalist in, if if anything." Yaakov needs to be get that brocha. He needs to get a brocha that he's he's uh, eligible to to um to 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 lead uh the the, the ethics that, that Amishel are based upon. That's his life, Torah. So he needs to be blessed that he will produce a Rambam and a Shulchan Aruch. That's what he needs to be blessed with. And Asaph needs to be blessed with the ability to to um to cultivate a an economy and 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 support all of Klal Israel, so that's why Yitzchak wants to give him 
the bracha of prosperity. According to this theory, it's not that Yitzchak has no idea who Esav is. You know, um, he knows who Esav is, but he thinks that Esav can be useful to Klal Yisrael. And so he wants to bless him with what he's, uh, what, what, what he's going to work with. And this theory might be supported by Esav's, um, you know, questioning, uh, Yitzchak's questioning of Esav, you know, how did you, how did you, how did you, how did you achieve, um, how did you come back so quickly? So when, um, you know, you came back, I gave you a mission to go and hunt, uh, you know, and, and when you came back and you came back so quickly and, and, and Yitzchak says to him, you know, how did you do this? So, you know, Asav, who's actually Yaakov, you know, has a Freudian slip here and he puts in Hashem's name. He says, oh, Hashem, help me. Now Yitzchak's, uh, you know, suspicions are really raised. You know, when's the last time Asav used Hashem's name to describe his uh, prowess in hunting or anything? So Yitzchak, is, Yitzchak suspects something. Asav never speaks like that. Um, and so maybe this supports the idea that maybe Yitzchak wasn't so unaware of who Asav was. Um, but he he thought that both Yitzchak, both Yaakov and Asav are necessary for uh, Jewish governance, the Jewish society. And Rivka's argument is, is that no, um, Asav has to be exiled completely <clears throat> from from Jewish history. It is so dangerous to have Asav there, and uh, Yitzchak, it's not he has no role. If you give Esav the money, um, it's going to be disaster for Yaakov. So this is Rivka's perspective. So the question is, you know, why? Why does she, so, 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 so Davin, let's say somehow that Yaakov should get the get the bracha? Does Rivka not realize that that uh, wealth has corruptive powers? Number two, the the brachas. Of, of wealth and prosperity. What happened to that brocha? It doesn't seem to have materialized in, in history. Um, we are not, Am Yisrael are not necessarily the nation who's enjoyed throughout its history. Um, so exactly what was, what was Rivka's perspective here? <clears throat> So we see the Beta Levi develops a theory. <clears throat> Sorry. And he says that Rivka knows the risk of, 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 uh, of wealth and power. But she sees two extremely positive and vital roles having access to wealth and power. She says, number one, having finance behind you allows Am Yisrael to keep mitzvot to the optimum. You know, this is the Torah. The Torah itself, uh, um, the Torah itself promises in the Pasha Bechukotai that if we live a life of Torah and Mitzvah, then we will be rewarded with Geshamim Beitam. You know, rain in its time, which means that everything will work. You can finance every aspect of of Torah living, um, and you can also finance. Um, peace and security. So that's the first aspect that the Beta Levi develops, that this is what having um, finance behind you 
will be able to achieve. The second reason is uh, more, uh, this is kind of real Jewish thinking here. There's a Gemara in Masechet Baba Batra, Davtet, where the Gemara comes along and tells us with regard to the mitzvah of giving tzedakah. So the the Gemara that talks of, uh, all, you know, some of the aspects of understanding the nature of tzedakah, of charity, and it, almost, it, it pushes us to realize that charity is a misnomer as an English translated word of tzedakah. Because... Charity implies a voluntary contribution, whereas tzedakah actually, as the word suggests, is an aspect of justice, tzedek, which means that the way Hashem has designed our, our world to operate is that if a person has, they have to miser it. They have to give. You have a responsibility. You have an obligation to give tzedakah to somebody who's less fortunate. Which the tzedakah is a tax; it's not a voluntary contribution, and therefore we call it charity. But it's uh, it's not; it's charity is missing the whole neshama of tzedakah. Tzedakah is an obligation that you have. That if a person has enough money past a certain threshold of your own ability to live and fund uh, you know your basic uh, living expenses, once you go past that, then you have to meister the money. You have to you have to take off tzedakah and give it to somebody else. Now, one of the psukim that that's uh, that's quoted in that Gemara there is a pasuk from the the Navi from the prophet Yeshayahu. There, there's a phrase in a pasuk which says, you know, pekudateich shalom v'noksayich tzedakah. Now, this phrase. Vinoxayich tzedakah is a loaded phrase. If we translate it literally, the word noxayich are people who oppress you, people who extort money from you. So the the pasuk, the prophet says that those who who who, who oppress you, those who extort you for money, should be seen as doing some aspect of tzedakah. Now, how do we how do we work with this? The reason why I say it's a Jewish concept because it's a kind of Jewish guilt. So whenever, God forbid, we, um, we're in a situation which costs us unnecessary funds. You know, you have a car crash, you know, or somebody goes into you. So it's, you know, it's, it's money now. You know, now you have to Okay, you've got insurance that covers it. You've got to pay the excess, especially if it's your kid who's under 25. <clears throat> you know, there's a there's an excess amount of money. Then there's all the tourists that comes with trying to get this thing fixed and how long it takes to get it in and out of the panel beta and all of that. There's all this, what we call agmas nefesh. You know, there's all this like uh, the stress that comes with having to deal with these kind of liabilities. Or you somehow, your credit card is hacked and and, you know, you have to now go and, You'll get it back because the company will, but it takes you six months to. It's all a, it's a pain, you know. Your your flight gets cancelled. There's a there's a COVID. There's a war. There's a all these aspects which are small in comparison, you know. But bottom line is, in the days of old, you know, the pogroms in 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 Europe, um, 
always have at the back of it, you know, the the looting and the destruction of, of, of communities, you know, which left them poverty-stricken. And even when it was, so to speak, peaceful in the in the medieval times, the amount of tax that was that was um placed upon the Jewish communities, mamish extortion, mamish extortion. So the 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 prophet prophesizes that you know there will be a double a double-edged uh, or you know two sides of a coin. There'll there'll be shalom, you know, where your investments are are blessed with shalom, and then there's v'nuksayich tzedakah, and even those who extort money from you, there's an actually there's a silver lining in 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 that, and the silver lining is to realize that. Whenever this happens to us, the first thing we say, especially if it hasn't happened to you, but the first thing that we say, oh, it's a kapora, it's a kapora. Because I'm Israel, uh, we always look at ourselves as having liabilities, shortcomings in the eyes of a Baruch Hu that need to be accounted for. And there are two ways that a Baruch Hu can, 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 uh, you know, can account for this. One is to take out Hashem's anger um, on, on the people. You know, like we feeling now that you know the korbanot, the sacrifices, the kapora is is in all our is is in everybody that was is in the war, right? And we don't want that. That that is like when we when we see Hashem take out his 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 his, his wrath on the on the people themselves, we uh, you know we shudder because of the pain that we have to absorb. Um, but 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 we've been guilty. We've, we've you know the last five years of of Amishel's behavior, you know towards each other in Israel and abroad. You know this kind of, you know the the sinat chinam. I mean, I'm not somebody who's a prophet that knows exactly what's going to happen, but it was clear based on all of our history that something was going to happen as a result of the way that we were behaving. And you know, we, I'm not going to jump and make the exact. Um, you know, uh, evaluation that the level of hate, you know, is paid back by this level of slaughter. That already is Hashem's cheshben. We, we, uh, we just surrender to it. But, but um, in principle, we expect something when when we start hating each other. And so, therefore, how do you account for that? So either the the so-called um, payment is on the by the people, with people, or we lose money. <clears throat> so we have this principle um, developed when we um, we look at the the story of of Bilam who curses Amisrael. Uh, and Hashem turns all his curses into 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 brocha, into blessings. Um, now one of the most famous ones is Matovu Alecha Yaakov, how how good are your tents, how modest are your is your living, uh, you know, or how beautiful are your houses of study and prayer? That's your oil. That can be interpreted in all these ways, you know. Mishkanotecha in Israel, you know. Now the word Mishkan is a uh, is a Beit Hamidash, a temple, a sanctuary, but it can also be interpreted Mishkanotecha is is your is your uh, surety. A mashkon is a surety. And so Bilam's intention was to say that, you know, the bracha was that Hashem should take out his anger 
you know, on the oil. Uh, sorry, on the people. Mishkanotecha, the surety should be the people. Mishkanotecha Israel. Whenever you have to punish Am Israel, take it out on the people because that's much worse. That's like a, a pogrom, you know, that's like a, a massacre. Whereas the way we want to interpret the word is Mishkanotecha, not Yisrael. Rather take it out on the on the Beit Hamikdash, on the building. We'd rather lose the Beit Hamikdash than go through a Shoah. You know that's the that's the that's the approach here. And so many a time when we when we suffer a financial loss, we 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 taught to have the faith that it's a kapora. At least that it should atone for you know, for all my, my misdeeds. And that and that actual disasters, you know, should be a, a, averted by this kind of, this kapora. You know, if a person has to choose between, um, between being afflicted with health issues or, or losing money, you know, you say, let me pay for it. If I have to have kapora, what are you going to choose? To lose my health or to lose my wealth? So says the pasuk, says the prophet Yeshayahu, tzedakah. You, you, you need to realize that uh, it's it's hard to swallow. It's really it's really tough. Um, but you rather have the, you rather have that than uh, than on your than the loss from your person itself. And that's how the Beit Halevi quotes this pasuk, which is quoted in the Gemara, that tzedakah. That's how you need to see it. So either Am Yisrael are, have wealth and they refuse to give tzedakah and they refuse to help appropriately, or their level of religiosity is diluted to the point where you can hardly recognize them. So Akosh Baruch Hu orchestrates that the goyim oppress and steal our money, and in in and in and in that exercise, Hashem is really doing a, a chesed for us. Um, it's a, it's a it's a not a nice kind of chesed. But it's a chesed that um, it ends up being a tzedakah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a rachmonis because eventually the money, even though if it's taken away from us, uh, you know, by force, by extortion, unlawfully, it, it has a kapora component and therefore it acts as tzedakah by Kosh Baruch Hu and uh, it, it, uh, it atones, you know, for our, for our misdeeds. So therefore, this is what Rivka's perspective is. She says to Yaakov, it's true what you say, that the level of wealth that I want you to accrue as a result of this bracha coming from your father, it's true that this wealth is 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 is, is very, very challenging. And the chances of succeeding in the test of wealth, living a life of luxury without losing uh, you know, spirituality and the and the focus of Akosh Baruch Hu is very, very difficult. But Rivka is saying something else to him. She says. He has the irony. It's not good for Yaakov to have this wealth in order to enjoy it. But it is vital for you to have the wealth so that when others enjoy it, they've taken it from you. And therefore, it's a tzedakah on an ongoing level. And that's the concept of v'noksayich tzedakah. You know, that's how we, we need to appreciate it. So she says to Yaakov Avinu, you tell me that you don't want the wealth because when you start enjoying the wealth and you start, you know, um, you know, living a life of luxury, it's spiritually dangerous. 
it's true, but I don't want you to use it. I want you to have it. I want you to so-called bank it. And I want you to use it for good things. And if you don't use it for good things, Hashem will allow uh, others to extort it from you. And that way it'll be a kapora from you. The fact that the world will chop your money and use it for whatever they use it for, that acts as a kapora for you. That's Venoxaych Tzedakah. That's the, you know, that's the Beit Levi's way of interpreting, you know, this uh, this particular phrase. And so it's a very interesting, uh, I guess it's like quite a slightly cold literature way of looking at this kind of story, you know, that, uh, you know, this is this is what happens. I mean, I mentioned to you that um, I'm giving a, an ongoing shear in, 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 in Nach on Shabbos afternoons. So we're studying, we're in the middle of the book of Shoftim. So this is the story of the whole Sefer. I mean, it's, you know, 450 years of Am Yisrael being blessed with success, losing their focus on Hashem as giving their success, becoming, you know, influenced to become idol worshippers by the cultures around them. And then Hashem sending those cultures to from around us to oppress us. And many a time the oppression is that they steal money, they steal land, they 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 they, they impoverish Kalisra. So it's interesting that the particular Shofate that we're discussing now is the Shofate Gidon, who who's quite well known to us as part of our general knowledge. You know, he's the one who who has to take uh, an entire army of Klal Yisrael, uh, 32,000 men show up to fight the war, you know, um, and he has to, he has to, against, against Midian, there's kind of like a, there's an axis of evil that is motivated by Midian. So Midian um, joins together with Amalek, and there's another group of people that, that, that join them as well. Anyway, there's 32,000 Israeli soldiers who show up, you know, to enlist. And Akosh Baruch Hu tells Gidon, too many people. Like, you know, you can imagine his face, you know. There's so many more Goyim that outnumber us on the battlefield anyway. And now you're telling me that, that 32,000 is too many. Akosh Baruch Hu is saying, you know, I'm just interpreting here based on the Mephoshim. Hashem is saying to him, they're not deserved of 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 winning this war, having this amount of people is actually going to be to your detriment. You know, whittle them down, whittle them down. That they, they have no merit. There's there's no there's there's no there's no observance. They're so steeped in avoid Zora in idol worship. We can't we can't work with them. They're just going to be a liability. Rather than get them to go and join the Midianites, and then do you know what I mean? It's like so so. Um, so Gidon says, okay, how am I going to do this? You know, so Hashem then says, all right, tell every, read them the riot act. Anybody, it's based on the psukim in Pasha Shoftim, you know, anybody who's violated certain principles of, of spirituality, of halacha, um, is an, is an actual liability to Am Yisrael. And I mean, if we, if we apply the standards that the Torah applies, we wouldn't have much of an army. But, you know, anybody who's spoken, who speaks in shul while they're davening, you know, everybody who's spoken between putting on 
People who've spoken in Pesukah de Zimra. Okay, that's it. Your army, you know, can't come into the army. You've just destroyed the army because the level of 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 of, of spiritual buy-in is so is so uh, impressive. Most people aren't there. Okay, so they whittle it down, and and after reading them the riot act, you know, twenty-two thousand soldiers go back home and they say, okay, we need to work on ourselves, do a bit of tshuva, start davening and learning, do a bit of chesed, you know, let's work on ourselves. That the way that's the way we'll support the war effort. So he's left with 10,000 people. Hashem says to him, it's not, en not enough. You, you've, got to, you've got to whittle this down even further. And then the famous test, um, you know, is essentially um, organized by Gidon. Because Baruch tells him, you know, take him down to the river, tell them to drink water from the river. And all of a sudden, uh, a person's nature comes out when, you, when you're off guard. So, you know, as you know, there were... The vast majority of people got down on their knees and drank from the the stream, and only only three hundred men cupped the water in their hands and didn't get down on their knees to to drink. And and the Mufarshim explain interpret that what you saw was that it it was so second nature for people to get onto their knees, which means they were used to serving idols. You used to it enough that that. That getting down on the knees wasn't a problem, you know. Um, so, in the end of the day, even those people who had, who weren't scared of their on on their own, the second the second scaling down of the army was anybody who would bow down, you know, is not good to have in the army. So he's left with three hundred men. That's the kind of that's the kind of story that's going on now. When they were fighting against Midian, what what was Midian doing? So the way the the Nach, the, you know, the Tanakh describes it, is that they were they were they were kind of like terrorizing Am Israel. It's in the north of the country, uh, the tribe of Menashe. You know, Menashe got that massive tract of land west of the Jordan as well as east of the Jordan, and uh, it was very very fertile land. So the Midianites had enough. They basically ran roughshod over the borders with animals, and they grazed the fields till they were they they were left completely bare. And Amishal never had the firepower to to arrest the problem, and so they ran out of food. They had no money. They had no money. In fact, the truth is, some of Hashem say. Is the only thing they had was money, but you couldn't, you can't, you know, you can't buy the food. So they had so much money that it wasted on trying to import things, and then it eventually got to a point where they couldn't even use the money. The money was useless currency because you need you need bread, you need wheat, you need grain, and you can't you can't sow it and you can't reap it because these people are coming in and just grazing it until there's nothing left. That's how they terrorizing you. Well, that that's kind of like a pattern. Sometimes the terrorism is in actual human casualties. Other times it's in in, in extorting the money from Israel. So this has, of course, happened to us throughout history. So, so yeah, this is what Rivka is saying to Yaakov Avinu. I'm Israel, are going to sin. We have to be able to protect them, you know, that we have to give them, you know, a surety for, for atonement, for kapora. 
and the Mishkanotayich, you know, you know, um, the 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 tzedakah is going to come from the wealth that you get. So get the wealth, bank it, use it for good things. Don't live a life of crazy luxury. And 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 just use it there. That when eventually you don't behave properly, the first port of call will be for the goyim to take your money. So this is how the Beit Alevi interprets, you know what's you know what's what's going on over here. And 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 he and in in order to you know to support his theory, he says you know let's let's look again at the actual expressions of the psukim. So. Yaakov's in there dressed up as Asaf. Yitzchak bars the fact that he's Asaf. So he, the brocha he gives is the brocha he was going to give to Asaf. And what does the Pasuk say the brocha was? Baruch should give you, you know, from the dew of heavens, and from the fat of the land. That's the brocha he gets. You know, that he should have the dew of the heavens and the fat of the earth. Now, Yaakov then leaves. Esav enters. Esav then hears from Yitzchak what Yaakov's perpetrated. He gives this huge cry. And he tells him, Yaakov stolen my brocha, and it's not the first time he's stolen from me. He took my birthright. You know, anyway, Yitzchak's hearing all of this. And, um, you know, he then, Esav then says to him, do you not have a, just one brocha? So, so uh, Yitzchak says, yes, I do have a brocha for you, actually. Says even though Yaakov's taken the the chunk of it, but he has the bracha to you, Asaf. And Yaakov says to him, Yitzchak says to him, Mishmanei Aretz Yeh Moshavecha, from the dew of the dew of the of the uh, the fat of the earth should be your dwelling places. I mean, when you start looking at it, you know, Mishmanei Aretz was to Yaakov. Can we detect a subtle distinction here between the way the Psukim describe how these brochas were given? Now, once the, you know, um, what's exactly going on here? So according to the Beta Levi's interpretation, again, it's Rivka's perspective here, that Hashem will give Yaakov, you know, the wealth that is coming. Fine. But 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 there's a caveat, there's a clause that Rivka's putting in here. Yaakov, you're going to get the wealth, but don't overindulge. Don't enjoy it on the level that uh, the life of luxury takes you away from service to Akash Baruch Hu. And it's not always a good good for you to always enjoy. Have it, but don't enjoy it. Don't overdo it. The the brachot have a certain focus. Um, and so whereas for Asav. He says, okay, Mishmanai Aretz, Moshavecha, you're going to enjoy it. You know, Yaakov needs to have it, not to overindulge. Esav, you'll have it, and you'll indulge. So in the end of the day, um, all the brochas accruing to Am Yisrael via the brocha of Yitzchak have, us, have, have, have these purposes, you know? Like, like, like as part of the brocha, uh, part of the instruction to... to to Yaakov from his mother Rivka is dress up like Asaf by taking these two goats and shechting them. I'll use the the meat to make Yitzchak's uh, dish that he's after to put him in a you know 
a physical state of pleasure, so you can give a bracha with a, a geschmack, you know, like feeling good about it. And the, and the skins you'll wear to, to fool your father. So the way that the Pasuk talks of, of this, uh, this approach is to say that uh, there's a Midrash that says, when Rivka said, take these two good goats. What did it mean, two good goats? So it says the Midrash, in the future, Am Yisrael will offer two good goats every Yom Kippur. One is going to be a Seiri Lashem, and the other is going to be a Seiri Lazazel. And the interpretation, what, is, what, what, what does it mean, give a, an offering to Azazel? It's like, you know what, to the dark side, we give a Korban. Says the Beta Lady, based on Rivka's perspective. No, the Seiri Lazazel are all the resources, all the money taken away from you by the dark side, by Asaph. Um, but yet they function as a kapora, benoksaich tzedaka, you know, from uh, from from Yaakov. So this is the Beit Levi's interpretation of this kind of uh, approach to what happens to us. And so the first, obviously, the first uh, the, uh, the the first um, lesson that we extract from here, you know, is to realize what's happened to us now that we've unfortunately seen the difference between, you know. Losing, losing money, you know, noxaich tzedakah, and and having Akosh Baruch take out his anger on the people, we see that, we see that, you know, Mishkanotecha um, Yisrael. That's a curse that came from Bilam. We just experienced that, and we're still experiencing it. Um. Anyway, that's that's the that's the perspective. Um, the other the other point which. Uh, I want to just um you know mention to you is um is that I think I I think I once spoke out this story um but I, I just found it um you know a a perspective which I think is really is really unique. Um and that is as follows. Quite a number of years ago, uh I, I, five years ago probably. Um, I read a I read a book. I read a book called Harpoon. Um, it's a fascinating book. It um, it celebrates the life of a person who's not that well known, but he's basically his name is Mary Dagan. And Mary Dagan, you know, ran the Mossad. He was a real good mate of Ariel Sharon, and the two of them, you know. They essentially worked together on many issues to get rid of terrorism in the 70s. And um, ultimately, he was asked, he was tasked to get to somehow stop the second intifada. So, Mary Dagan is a almost non celebrated hero because no one knows about him. He, he, was, he, he was the Mossad's longest director, longest serving director. And um, you know, he had a he had a motto. How's he going to stop the the terrorist bombs that are the suicide bombings in the second intifada? So he came up with a strategy, and the strategy was, you know, follow the money, kill the money. You know, so essentially he said we have to stop the money that's coming in from all over the world, which is essentially paying all these terrorists, and. Um, 
you know, this and the, the book Harpoon was authored by uh, uh, an Israeli lawyer who specializes in advocacy on behalf of the victims of terrorism. Her name is Nitsana Darshan Leitner. Um, anyway, bottom line is, is that he worked with the U.S. authorities and, you know, he he created a, a multidisciplinary team codenamed uh, Tiltzal, or in English, Harpoon. The, the whole purpose was to find creative ways of denying funding to the terrorist groups, you know, who were routinely unleashing carnage in the streets of Israel, you know, and this is the this is the this is the issue, um, you know, in, and in order to in order to they had to really create like a front which was bought by by the terrorists. So they the first front that they had was um, a company that was established in in a Latin American company with a with a rock solid investment portfolio um, in front of a prominent PLO financier, you know, and encouraged by the initial profits. The PLO and Arafat sank more and more money into this enterprise, and uh, inevitably, with you know, with 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 a with a help from from the from Harpoon, um, all of a sudden, once once they got to a certain amount of money, I think the book estimated that they got to a hundred plus million dollars. So P, the PLO money, hundred million PLO dollars was invested in this actual company and the funds vanished overnight. There was another operation called, you know, Green Lantern. And uh, yeah, you know, the, the, the task force code name Harpoon used, used, um, used Sahels and, and border police units to conduct a coordinated series of, of bank raids in Ramallah, Janine, Tulkarim, you know, they were able to haul off 40 million shekels, which were earmarked for, you know, West Bank terror cells. And they were also able to capture a trove of computer hard drives and bank rock, uh, you know, records documenting terrorist cash flows from, in, you know, which included from state-owned slush funds to global Islamic charities and benevolent foundations. That's what they did. You know, the sad irony about it is, is that is that you know this was all done, you know, um, when Bush was president, you know, and George Bush was unhappy. The Americans, uh, the Americans couldn't deal with the fact that they were using a strategy, killed nobody really. Um, yeah, it's, they they accused us of being the, the the Wild West, you know, and Israeli security was hauled onto the carpet by you know by the then ambassador Daniel Kurtzer, and he lambasted the optics of you know, driving tanks and armored vehicles straight up to a bank entrance, you know, just to steal bags of cash, you know. And, you know, I mean, look how, look how easy that, that, that method was compared to what we have to go through now, you know. So, so and, and, this, and this, this lady, um, Nitsana Darshan Leitner, her role in the story is fascinating. You know, she founded, she's a co-founder of a company called Shuratadin, in Hebrew it means uh, the letter of the law, um, and um, it's an organization uh, modeled on on a on a company in in America which is called the U.S. Southern Poverty Law Center, 
And that center had tremendous success at, you know, using the courts to go after the Ku Klux Klan and neo-Nazi groups. And uh, it focused on the legal system, focusing on victims' rights. And therefore, this company, Shurat Adin, you know, used the U.S. anti-terrorism legislation and uh, Israeli, you know, laws of damages in the U.S. courts to target uh, an array of terrorist front organizations and Middle Eastern financial institutions with offices and branches in America. And it works. You know, they won, one of the cases they linked, uh, they, had a, they had a civil case linking the PLO to a series of attacks by the Al-Asqar Martyrs Brigade, Hamas, the, the Islamic Jihad, and the Shurat Adin secured damages of $655 million for the 10 families it represented in the case. This is what they were doing. Anyway, uh, this is the this is the kishkas of the of the book, and um, you know, to me, this is exactly what you know. This is another way of interpreting with a kind of a twist on what's happening over here, and that is that you know, we need the bracha of mitala shamayim umishmanei aretz because if we don't use the money that's coming down from Shamayim, others will grab it and use it to destroy us. And therefore Yaakov take the brocha and bank it. If there's if there's a if there's a, a certain amount of of of, of money, wealth, brocha that Akush Baruch decrees every single you know Rosh Hashanah that's coming down to the world. Grab what you can because if you don't grab it, others will grab it. And if they if the wrong hands get a hold of it They'll, you know, they'll 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 pay to slay. That's the policy they'll use against Klal Israel. We need we need we need to you know we need to target the money, find the money, kill the money. And the and the, the sad books, the sad stories that are going to be written from now on. They're gonna we, some people are going to show us. They already have, but it'll be they will show us how all these tunnels that they're using now, all these tunnels. Tunnels were, were funded by the U.S. themselves. The same government that's supporting us now funded the damn tunnels together with the EU. And they all claim, you know, righteous support of uh, that Israel's allowed to defend itself. I mean, it's, you cough over this, you know, you get indigestion just thinking that the same people that allow us to, to uh, buy their, buy their, their, their airplane, you know, their, their military aircraft, and and help us fund the Iron Dome or sending the money back to fund the tunnels. I mean, Goisha Seichel, you don't want. Seriously. You know, you this is unbelievable. I mean, it it beggars belief this the way that these people have conducted themselves. And these are the people that support us. Imagine the people who hate us. I mean, seriously, the best combination, you know. Is Yiddish cycle and Goisha muzzle. You don't want the other way around. You know, relying on God, this is crazy stuff. I mean, seriously, the world just has to, you know, get with it. So maybe this is another interpretation using the story to say, listen, we need the Brocha because otherwise they're going to fund all these crazy things. You got to find the money, you know, target the money, kill the money. And that way, at least you'll have. It should be a bracha to us that we can somehow help prevent, you know, this um, 
this particular story, you know. And again, people, he was the head of the head of the Mossad. He's coming up with creative solutions, you know. During the second Lebanon, Lebanon war in 2006, Dagan came up with a strategy. He demanded that the Air Force bomb Lebanese banks. And Olmert, who's the prime minister, was too nervous. He was scared of the U.S. Uh, who warned him not to do it. You know, didn't want to weaken the Lebanese state. And they didn't, they didn't do it. You know, and the same thing is true with during the Yom Kippur War. You know, Moshe Dayan, who was the defense minister, he refused to fire on Arab financial institutions. You know, and Dagan, Dagan despised these decisions and told them they have far-reaching consequences just based solely on political pandering. Well, look, I'm sure there are other opinions too about all of this, but bottom line is, you know, you could argue, well, and this is what everybody's arguing, a failed state on Israel's borders serves nobody's best interests. That's why they come up with these, this, this logic and they say, fund the Arabs. We've got to make sure that, uh, if you ask me, man, I mean, seriously, the bottom line is, is that the blowback from these um, operations, you know, could have had some serious consequences. And, and you know, this is the, eventually, at least in one area, you know, with the support of Sharon, his mate, Dagan ultimately prevailed and $100 million went up in smoke. So this is what he was able to achieve. He passed away and was buried in a kind of like very, very, um, how do you call it? Uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a covered, a very, very small ceremony. No one even knows much about him, but it's a book that's well worth reading. And I think it, uh, I'm using it here as an interpretation of, of, uh, of the story, why we want the, why we want the money, why we want the Yitanacha, it has, it has repercussions on how we defend ourselves, you know, in our, in our current uh, and future predicament. Okay, I'll leave it there and um, wish you a Shavua Tov. And as we always, uh, Davin, that Achaynu uh, Beit Israel, you know, who are on the Tunim they're in Taurus, Uvashivya, and in captivity, based on uh, the little bit of learning that we do, should act as a kapora and help, hope uh, bring them home as soon as possible. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye, everyone. Good to Thank you. Okay. Awesome. Bye.